Well, thank you for the warm welcome. Good evening to you. Am am I speaking to anyone out there? Good evening to you. Fantastic. It's a privilege to uh, be speaking today, uh, particularly as it's baptism services. Uh, Baptism services are my favourite services because it's great to hear so many stories of lives being changed. Isn't that right? So it was great to hear uh, Nune and Clint's story of how their lives have been changed by Jesus working in their lives. But every single one of us has life-changing moments, don't we? Sometimes they're good moments, sometimes they're sad moments, perhaps. But every single one of us has life-changing, significant moments. And the thing is, is that all of us have these moments, and sometimes we even remember the date that these events happened. So let me give you a few examples. The first date that I'm going to have up on the screen is 30th of July, 1966. Any guesses what happened on this day? The World Cup. That is right. England won their first and only World Cup. Look at that. A life-changing moment for those involved. Uh, Bobby Moore will always be remembered as the first England captain to lift the World Cup. A great, great moment. And uh, it'll always be remembered, probably because we're not going to win another one anytime soon. (laughs) But there we are. Um, Sometimes we have significant dates that are more personal to us, though. So, for example, this next date is very personal to me. The 17th of August, 2013. This is the date that I got the girl. I got her. I got her. Woo! Um, So there's a a picture of us on our wedding day. Uh, This was a life-changing moment. What a girl that I married. And uh, it changed my life. Actually, um, since I got married, I've eaten more vegetables, done more cleaning, and uh, I don't watch Sky Sports anymore. So uh, my my life has drastically changed. But uh, she's a great girl, nonetheless. (laughs) So all of us have these precious moments and precious dates that we remember these occasions. But what about today? The 26th of April, 2015. What about today? A very, very significant day particularly for those getting baptised. Why? Because it's a chance for them to stand up and say publicly in front of friends, family, and the wider church that they follow Jesus. We've already heard that they've already been saved, they've already become Christians at an earlier date. But today, it's a very significant time where they stand up and they're saying publicly that they're followers of Christ. What a day. What a day for those people. And if, you're, uh, if you've been baptised today, it may not feel right now like it's a life-changing, significant moment. But I'm sure that as you look back at this day, you'll see that your life has changed drastically as a result. You know, the Bible is full of life-changing moments. Life-changing stories of people that become Christians, get baptised, and their lives are radically changed. And so today, I'm just going to look at three people whose lives were radically changed with an encounter Uh, with Jesus. Before we go to Acts, uh, a book in the Bible, I just want to say, if you're new here, you might think, it's a bit weird, why are we doing a talk from the Bible? Well, we believe that God speaks to us by his spirit through the Bible. And so as we open up the Bible, as we try and understand uh, what's going on here, I fully believe that we actually get an insight into the very mind of God, and that God speaks to us by his spirit. So as we come to Acts 16 in a moment, let's all be expecting God to speak to us individually today, through this passage. Acts, like I say, is a book of the Bible. It's written by a guy called Luke, who was an early follower of Jesus. And Acts is basically the story of how the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is spreading from Jerusalem right 
into Rome, which was the center of world politics and culture. In Acts 16, we're joining Paul, a guy called Silas, who was a church leader, and uh, other disciples who are going to Philippi, which was a leading city in Macedonia at the time. And they're traveling to Philippi again to spread the gospel. Now, many people would have become Christians in Philippi at this time, but Luke, the writer, chooses to focus on three individuals, three people that have life-changing moments. And today, we're going to look at those three people. So the first person we're going to meet is a businesswoman called Lydia. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Acts 16. If you haven't, the verses will come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read Acts 16, 13 to 15. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Tyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, Come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here we are, Acts 16, first person to have a life-changing moment. We see in Acts 16, verse 14, that Lydia is a dealer in purple cloth, and she's a worshipper of God. Purple in those days would have meant wealth and prestige. So we know that Lydia is a very successful, rich businesswoman. She would have been loaded. She would have been one of the high flyers of her day. People would have liked her. She would have been very popular. She would have dealt people clothes, as it says in 16.14. It also says that she was a worshipper of God. She believed in God. Perhaps she read the Old Testament uh, passages in the Bible. It says she was a worshipper of God, but she'd never heard of Jesus or put her trust in him personally. It says in Acts 16.14 that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, we know that Paul would have been going around Philippi at the time preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, preaching that he died and he rose again for our sins so that we could be brought back into a relationship with God. And Lydia at this time would have heard that for the very first time. And the Lord opened her heart, she responded, and she became a Christian. She was converted at this time. A life-changing moment for Lydia, the businesswoman. I wonder today if you're a bit like Lydia. I wonder if you would say that you're a worshipper of God. I wonder if you would say, well, you know, I come to church, I come to the prayer meetings, I do all that, I say the right thing. Outwardly, people would say I was a Christian. But maybe you don't know Jesus for yourself. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus personally. Maybe you're like Lydia, this businesswoman, today. And therefore, I wonder whether today, the 26th, of April 2015. I wonder if this day will be a life-changing moment for you. I wonder whether the Lord is opening your heart today to respond to this message. So the first person in Philippi, Lydia, a businesswoman, has a life-changing moment. Let's read what happens next. So I'm going to read from Acts 16, 16 to 18, and we're going to see someone else's life being radically changed. Once When we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money, for her owners 
by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So second person, a slave girl. And in these verses, we know three things about this slave girl. Firstly, she has a spirit in which she predicts predicts the future. Secondly, she's exploited by her owners to make money for them. And thirdly, she's controlled by the spirit inside her. We're not given much more information. We don't know the whole story. But that's what we do know. But it's likely that this slave girl, early on in her life, would have started to dabble in occult practices, which opened her up to the evil spirit controlling her. And we see that today, don't we? We see today people dabbling in occult practices. Why? Because they want to get hidden spiritual knowledge away from the Bible. So I'm talking about practices like fortune-telling, horoscopes, Ouija boards, witchcraft, sorcery, tarot cards, even calling on the dead. People do these things because they have a desire for hidden spiritual knowledge that's not from the Bible or not from God. And when we do that, we open ourselves up to be controlled by evil spirits. We haven't got much time to look at this in depth, but we do know that God says to us in the Bible that if you're a Christian here, you shouldn't engage in these kind of practices. Why? Because it's not helpful for you, it's not from God, and these things can control you. So if we don't listen to God, if we don't listen to what the Bible teaches us, we open ourselves up to being controlled by other evil things. But some of you might say, well, it's harmless. It's completely harmless. I'm just doing these things. It's okay. My life's going all right. Or you might say, hey, look, I've been looking at horoscopes. And you know what? They're surprisingly accurate. How can you say that's wrong? Let's be clear that just because something may have a hint of truth doesn't mean that it's right. Look at this slave girl. What is she shouting out? These men are servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. She's telling the truth, isn't she? Paul and Silas, they were telling people the way to be saved. But the spirit inside her was still evil. It was still controlling. Now, you may not identify completely with this slave girl. You may not feel like you've got an evil spirit controlling you necessarily. But there might be something else controlling you that's not from God. There might be something else in your life that's taking control. And remember, just because it feels right, just because it's got a hint of truth, doesn't mean that it is right. So I want to ask you today, is something controlling you that's not pleasing to God? Are you watching something or reading something that you know you shouldn't? Are you in a relationship with someone that you know isn't right? Are you going on websites and looking at things that you shouldn't? Are you taking drugs, perhaps, that you know you shouldn't? Ultimately, are you seeking ultimate satisfaction in things that aren't God? We we know in this story that Paul becomes so troubled by the evil spirit inside this girl that he commands in the name of Jesus that this spirit leaves her, and immediately the spirit leaves her. 
Do you know that Jesus can deliver us from the evil in our lives? Do you know that Jesus can redeem us? Just like this slave girl. Haven't we heard that in our testimonies? I heard from Clint and Nune, them both standing up, saying that they were living in, in one way. Their lives were going in one direction. But they met Christ, and they turned and started living a new way. And Christ redeemed them. Christ delivered them from the way they were living. I wonder whether that will be the same for you today. What do you need to say no to? What's controlling you that you need to say no to and turn to Christ? Now, we're not told what happens to this girl after this. But what we do know is that it's a life-changing moment for her. It's the day that she was delivered from this evil spirit. A day that she would have remembered for the rest of her life. And what we do know is that this event leads to fierce opposition to Paul and Silas. So let's have a look at what happens next. I'm going to read from Acts 16, 19 to 24. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Can I just say that the Christian life is sometimes unattractive and unappealing. Can you see what happens to Paul and Silas? They're severely flogged, beaten up, and thrown into prison. Why is that? Because when the gospel goes out, there's severe opposition. When the gospel advances, there's severe opposition. This slave girl is shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's their message. People would have heard her say this. She said it out loud. She said it out loud, loud and clear. But did anyone come to her to find out the answer? Did anyone come to Paul and Silas at this point to find out the answer? No. Yet even her clients, who would have heard her predict the future time and time again, who would have known that she had a proven track record of predicting the future, not one person went up to her or Paul and Silas and said, go on then, go on then, tell me Paul, tell me Silas, how can I be saved? Not one of them at this moment does that. And look at her owners. Look at her owners. They're more concerned about making money than finding out how to be saved. Can't we relate to that? Ever been more concerned about money than finding out about Jesus? Ever been more concerned about a house, a mortgage, your job, making money to find out more about Jesus? I know I certainly have at times. Because we care about other things perhaps, rather than the way of salvation. And the owners are clever at this point, aren't they? Because they don't tell the magistrates the real reason for their frustration. They don't go up to them and say, oh, you know, we're losing money, what's going on? They say to them, look, these guys are creating an uproar. They're advocating something that's unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. What they're saying is, look, Christianity is not signed off, it's not approved by the Roman Empire. So what they're doing is illegal. And, and they were right. 
but they were being very, very clever at this point. And so they appeal to the magistrates, and the magistrates get them beaten, flogged, and thrown into jail. Do you know that gospel advance means fierce opposition? Do you know that? Let me tell you, 100,000 Christians lose their lives on account of their faith every year across the world. That's 11 Christians per hour across the world that lose their lives on account of their faith. Just stop and think for a moment. Think about all the stuff we see on the news. Think about Thursday the 2nd of April when 147 Christian students died at the hands of a terrorist attack when they attacked Garissa University in Kenya. And 147 Christian students were killed because of their faith. Think about just last week when a group of Ethiopian Christians were murdered in Libya by ISIS militants on account of their faith. When you stand up to be a Christian, you can expect fierce opposition. Well, you might say, well, that's in another country. What about in this country? We still face opposition in this country, don't we? If you're a young person in the room, when you're at college or at school and you're trying to share the gospel with a friend, don't you face opposition? <laughs> yeah, I just heard someone shout. We face opposition, don't we? Our friends don't want to know about Jesus. Our friends don't want to know about the way of salvation. If you're an adult in the room, don't you face opposition when you try and tell a neighbor or a colleague or a friend or a family member about this faith? Don't you face opposition? Just last week, we had a sports quiz in this very building, and I wanted to invite my football team along. There was a Saturday afternoon, we had a football match, and after the game, I was in the changing rooms with like 15 other lads. Did I want to share the gospel then? Did I want to invite them to the sports quiz? Did I want to invite them to church? Nah. I was a nervous wreck. I didn't want to stand up in front of the whole, all the lads and be like, come along to church. I was a nervous wreck. Why? Because I was worried about what they might say to me, what they might think of me. I was worried that they would oppose me because of my faith. The challenge here is to stand firm. Despite opposition, the challenge is to stand firm. So, we've seen a businesswoman get converted at the start. We've seen a slave girl be redeemed. This has led to fierce opposition. And now we see that all this prompts a jailer's question. Let me read Acts 16, 25 to 30. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But he shouted, but sorry, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This has to be the most important question that someone could ever ask. The most important question that you could ever ask. Before we get to the answer, I just want to ask the question, why does this jailer ask this question? 
wife. Just a few verses before, we were seeing this jailer flogging Paul and Silas, beating them up, putting them in the inner uh, cell of the prison, fastening their feet, just a few verses ago. So why now is he asking, what must I do to be saved? I think there's one reason why he's asking this question, and that is because of the Christian witness of Paul and Silas. Have a look at verse 25. Paul and Silas have just been beaten up. They've been flogged. They're in prison. You would expect them to be miserable. If you took a mugshot of their faces, you'd expect them to be furious, to be upset, to be crying. But instead, we see them praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that they'd be singing songs to God in their situation? And we see here that actually the prisoners, the other prisoners, were listening to them. I wonder whether we would react the same way, given the circumstances. Not only that, but there's an earthquake, the prison doors fly open, everybody's chains come loose. Let's pause there. If you're in that jail and you're a prisoner, wouldn't you just run out? Wouldn't you just be like, let's do one, let's go. (laughs) I'm gone. I'm free at last. That's what we would expect. I wonder if you've ever seen Prison Break. I'm a big fan of the the Prison Break um, series. And uh, if we were watching Prison Break, we would see people running around, killing people, murdering people, all that kind of stuff. And the jailer wakes up and he expects the same. He expects there to be chaos. That's why he draws his sword and wants to kill himself. Because he knows if the prisoners have escaped, his life's going to be taken from him. That's his job, to keep them in the prison. So he's going to kill himself and he expects chaos, but instead of that, there's peace. There's peace. Paul and Silas have been showing everyone in that jail that Jesus is Lord. That's what they've been doing. They've been showing everyone in that jail, Jesus is Lord. Presumably, the only reason why the prisoners didn't escape was because they were listening to Paul and Silas. Isn't that incredible? In the face of opposition, Paul and Silas kept believing and living for him. Seeing the witness of Paul and Silas prompted him to ask the question, what must I do to be saved. Hey, if you're a Christian in the room, people will oppose you, they'll reject you on account of the message. But let's keep believing and trusting in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian in the room, hey, it's great to have you with us. It really is. And you may have questions. And I want to say to you, it's good to have questions. I love it when people ask questions. Perhaps you're here because someone invited you. Perhaps you're here because of the baptisms. Isn't that great? It's great to have you with us. But maybe all this has prompted you to ask questions, just like this jailer. Your question might be, what must I do to be saved? Your question might be, what does it even mean to be saved? What does it even mean to be saved? That might be your question, and that's a great question. And if you have questions, can I strongly encourage you to come to the Alpha course? We start on Thursday the 7th of May. Don't worry about the elections on this day, all right? Come to Alpha on that day and ask your questions, all right? Forget about Cameron and Miliband and all that. Come to Alpha. Um, It is seriously, though, a great way to ask your questions. I'm leading the course this term, and I would love to have the opportunity to chat with you and uh, hopefully answer your questions. No question is off limits at Alpha. Come and find out more. Right, let's go back to the final part of our passage. We have seen already a businesswoman being converted. We've seen a slave girl's redemption, which has led to fierce opposition. We've seen a jailer's question, and now we're going to see a whole family's transformation. Let me read 
Acts 16, 31 to 34. They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Isn't that incredible? A whole household is transformed. I wonder, if someone said to you, what must I do to be saved? I wonder how you'd answer that question. In Paul and Silas's day, salvation was a big topic of discussion. People would have said different things. The Jews at the time would have said, unless you're circumcised and obey the law of Moses in the Old Testament, you can't be saved. That's what they would have said. So Paul and Silas were competing with different worldviews, just like today. Today, people would say things like, you just have to be a good person and you'll be saved. You just have to be a good person, God will accept you, you'll get into heaven, you're all good. Other people would say, hey, in order to be saved, you need to become a Muslim and you need to adhere to the five pillars of the Islamic faith to be saved. That's what people would say. Other people would say, you need to worship other gods to be saved. I wonder what you would say. Paul and Silas are relentless. They are relentless throughout the whole book of Acts, saying, no, the only way to be saved is by believing in Jesus. That's what they say time and time and time again. The only way to be saved is through believing in this man, Jesus. Why? Because he's the son of God. He rose again. He beat death. And by trusting in him, we can have life that lasts beyond the grave real life, with a relationship with him. Isn't this a scandalous message? An absolute scandalous message. Only one way to be saved. All other religions are wrong. Only one way to be saved, through believing in Jesus. Why? Because it's got nothing to do with us. It's all about Jesus. Notice that Lydia, the slave girl, and this jailer have done nothing to merit salvation. Nothing but it comes to them as a free gift by faith. Notice how all three of those people come from a different social standing, different backgrounds, different personalities, yet every single one of them can come into a relationship with Christ. Isn't that the same for us here? We come from different backgrounds, social standings, we've lived different lives, yet every single one of us can come to know Christ through faith because it's nothing to do with us and it's all to do with Jesus. Paul and Silas continued to speak the word of the Lord to the jailer and all in his house. The jailer and his family believed and were baptized. And that is hugely significant, isn't it? Hugely significant. Because the jailer and the family show their obedience to the Bible by getting baptized. (laughs) You know, it's easy to make excuses not to get baptized, isn't it? Easy to make excuses. But I think we learn from this jailer and also Lydia and her household that you need to believe and be baptized. Why not? So if you're a Christian here and you haven't been baptized, why not? Why don't you take that step today and commit to being baptized? We see that the jailer's life was radically changed. He went from flogging and beating up Paul and Silas to now washing their wounds. Did you see that? He's washing their wounds and setting a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he came to believe in God. He and his whole household.
a life-changing moment for him and his family. Let me finish by telling you this story. Anthony Ray Hinton is an American who was convicted in 1985 for killing two fast food restaurant managers, and he was put on death row. But Anthony Ray Hinton never committed the crime. Witnesses testified that he could never have committed the crime, and fingerprints were never found at the scene. There simply wasn't enough evidence to convict this man. However, he was convicted anyway. Why was he convicted? Because he was poor, he was black, and someone needed to be made responsible for this crime. That's why he was put in prison and on death row for 30 years. It was only this last year that the US Supreme Court allowed Hinton's case to be reviewed. New tests on the gun showed that previous evidence used against him were incorrect. On Friday the 3rd of April 2015, Anthony Ray Hinton, at the age of 58, was released after spending 30 years on death row. And all they had to do was test the gun. That's all they had to do. Friday the 3rd of April will remain in this man's memory for the rest of his life. It was the day that he was freed. Interestingly, he came out of prison. The media were around him. People were taking pictures. And he said to them, coming straight out, he said, I want everyone to know that there is a Lord. Isn't that incredible? He was then interviewed a few days later. And the reporter said to him, you must feel so bitter. His reply was this. No, I don't feel bitter. I don't hate anyone. I'm going to pray for those people that lied to get me on death row, just like I have for the past 30 years, because I never let them take my joy. That's what kept me alive, staying happy and trying to make other people happy. Get this. He said, although I was on death row, there were prison guards walking around. And if I made their lives a little happier, then being on death row was worth it. It gets better. The the reporter then said, you're free. You've got the rest of your life ahead of you. What are you going to do? He replied, bring joy to others. I visited a nursing home the other day, and it was a privilege to pray for other people. That gave me all the joy in the world. What a story. And perhaps whilst in prison, on death row, Anthony Ray Hinton opened his Bible, read Acts 16 and the story of Paul and Silas in prison, saw how they responded, how they sang hymns, how they brang joy to the jailer, and he wanted to do the same. Isn't that incredible? Over to you. It's Friday, sorry, not Friday, it's Sunday. (laughs) Ignore that. It's Sunday the 26th of April 2015. Is this a life-changing day for you? I want you to think of four things very quickly. Firstly, are you like Lydia? Would you say you're a worshipper of God? You attend the prayer meetings, you attend church, you say the right things, but you've never put your trust in Jesus. I wonder, is God opening your heart today to respond to this message and put your trust in Jesus for the first time? Secondly, are you like the slave girl? Perhaps you'd say you're a Christian, but there's something controlling you. There's something enslaving you that's not pleasing to God. I wonder whether today would be a significant moment where you say no to this stuff and you come to Christ again, asking him to free you. 
Thirdly, are you like the jailer? Do you have questions? Come along to Alpha. Come along. Sign up today, going over to the welcome desk. I'd love to have a chance to chat with you. Fourthly, will you be like Lydia, the jailer, and their households and get baptized? If you want to get baptized today, come and find out when the baptism inquiry course is. Remember, it's the 26th of April, 2015. Will that day remain in your memory because of an action that you decided to take? I'm going to pray, and uh, I'm going to... Have we got time? Yeah, let's get uh, Jordan up. Jordan, where are you? Jordan's going to come and play for us in a second. I'm just going to pray for us. If you're happy to bow your head and close your eyes, I'll just pray for us. And then Jordan's just going to play in the background. And whilst Jordan plays, I just want you to think about how you're going to respond to this message. In what way can you take a step today in response? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it speaks to us every time we open it. Thank you that you're speaking to us now by your Spirit. I just pray for every single one of us in this room. I pray that we would hear your voice clearly. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every single one of us here, telling us how to respond to this message. Help us to take a step today and remember this day as a life-changing, significant moment. In your glorious name, amen.